Hi, and welcome to the Healthy Nurse Connection podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Josh Goldberg, who is the CEO and co-founder of the Boulder Crest Institute for Post-Traumatic Growth. We are going to be having a conversation about what post-traumatic growth is and how it can help nurses who are dealing with traumatic with symptoms of trauma. I hope you stay and listen. Thanks. Well, welcome to the Healthy Nurse Connection podcast, where we are building connections to improve the health and wellness of nurses. Today, we are talking with Josh Goldberg, the CEO of Boulder Crest Foundation. Uh, so welcome, Josh. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming. So I just want to start with, you're the CEO of the Boulder Crest Foundation, but can you give us a little bit of background about what that is and what work you guys do? For sure. So the Boulder Crest Foundation is a national nonprofit organization that is the home of something called post-traumatic growth. And uh, we exist to ensure that members of the the first responder communities, as well as the military and veteran communities, can live great lives. And to us, a great life is a life filled with passion and purpose and growth and service and connection. And unfortunately, and, and, and for the record, so when we talk about first responders, and I think this is one of the sort of COVID consequences is I think people now realize that nurses very much are first responders, uh, is that far too many members of these communities are struggling. And so what Boulder Crest does is we develop, deliver, study and scale post-traumatic growth-based programs for, for all these communities. And we have a couple of retreat centers, the one we opened 10 years ago here in Virginia, one in Arizona, partners around the country. And then we do a lot of work in the world to try to help train people so that they can navigate these lifestyles and all the stress hardship, struggle, and trauma that comes with them in a healthy and constructive way. That's awesome. I think this is information that all nurses need to hear because we do work in a field where we see a lot of trauma and we don't really realize that or take ownership of that. We just think, oh, it's just our job, but it really does affect our lives. Um, Can you talk a little bit more about what post-traumatic growth is? And because I'm reading your book was the first time that I've heard of it. I read your book transformed by trauma. And that's the first time I've really heard about, we hear tons of stuff about post-traumatic stress disorder, but what is post-traumatic growth? So on the brass tacks, post-traumatic growth, if I was to give, if I only had a tweet to tell you is it would be the idea that, that what doesn't kill us can make us wiser, not stronger per se, but, but can make us wiser. And the, the science of post-traumatic growth, it emanated out of the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and the term was first coined in 1995 by two psychologists, Dr. Rich Tedeschi, who runs uh, the Border Crest Institute with us at this point, and uh, Dr. Lawrence Calhoun. And Rich and Lawrence were trying to understand where wisdom came from, was, was what was it that endowed certain people on earth with a sense of, of insight and wisdom about what it meant to live a good life and, and how to make sense of all the things that occur in our life. And in the context of the research and interviews they did, they found that uh, the people who possessed wisdom were people who had experienced great tragedy and trauma in their lives, including uh, parents who had lost their children to cancer and other illnesses uh, between the ages of around seven to 12. And, and so based on all that work, uh, they, they documented this term back in 1995. And, and it's interesting to me because when Rich and Lawrence uh, had sort of began to, to formalize what they were doing. They went to the marketplace and to publishers who published books related to, to mental health and well-being. And these are two pretty sort of esteemed folks. And when they said, hey, we want to publish a book on post-traumatic growth, what they got told is, 
is nobody wants to read about that. People only want to read about PTSD. And so it really reflects this sort of negative bias, this idea like if it bleeds, it leads kind of an approach. And and I think it's important to say a couple of things. I think one is post-traumatic growth is not some sort of pop psychology bumper sticker kind of thing is that that post-traumatic growth really describes not that trauma is good, but that what trauma does when we're exposed to it either once or a consistent number of times is it really causes us to struggle to make sense of our world. And that what we really have to do and are forced to do and are called to do is to rebuild our beliefs and our, and our sense of how to make sense of this world. And then in the process of doing that, people report that they experience growth. And so post-traumatic growth is both a process that people experience and a series of outcomes. And, and in fact, the catalyst for growth are symptoms, are symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And, and there's no question, as a good friend of ours uh, likes to say, and he was uh, uh, in law enforcement for 51 years, and before that he was in Vietnam for four years, is what our friend Tim says is that, you know, post-traumatic stress, stress symptoms are a reality for anyone in these fields. Uh, the question is, do you end up with a disorder or can you navigate towards towards growth? And certainly, to, to your point, is if you don't know growth is possible, of course, you're not going to end up there. Um, you're going to end up in sort of a more negative place. Yeah. Um, good. So in your book, um, I when I was reading or when I was reading on post-traumatic growth as well, I liked the part where you guys really describe that you still have to go through the emotions in order to grow. Like, I feel like there's a misconception that we can just skip anything that feels bad. And there's a misconception that, you know, every day as a nurse or as a healthcare worker, it's just going to be wonderful. But like you mentioned, it's when you have those negative feelings or those symptoms that you can really like start the growth process if you know how to do that. Um, So like, people who ignore the negative feelings, like in your experience, what do you find is hard for them if they're just trying to deny or ignore or just try to be positive, regardless of how they're feeling? Well, and I think that in a couple of things, and I think, as you mentioned, I think, and we can talk more about this, but this is not a designed to be a sales pitch is, you know, we've tried to document the what we've learned and what we've been doing at Boulder Crest around post-traumatic growth. And there's a couple of books that's transformed by trauma uh, that we wrote with with Dr. Tedeschi and then Brett Moore, uh, and then another book called Struggle Well, and, and to try to capture this, I think when I when I think about your question, um, you know, it seems to me that for far too many people in these lines of work, the the sense is that the cost of service is the quality of one's life. Like that's that's the fee to be paid for engaging in these professions, and it's certainly that's untenable and unsustainable. And what it seems like happens is that people to try to learn how to cope, which is not one of my favorite words, is you just sort of shut off the capacity to feel uh, over the course of time. And it seems to be like a good strategy to to navigate these lifestyles. It's like, you know, if I'm too empathetic, I'm too open, then this stuff's going to affect me. And and it really starts to translate into people's professional, personal lives is, is when you turn it off enough times, it, it's really hard to turn it back on. And I think that you know, we have five senses to experience the outside world, and we have feelings to experience our interior world. And the truth about human beings is like we just don't like discomfort is not something we enjoy doing. And and I think we would rather avoid that if we can at all costs. And we do a lot of things to avoid feeling discomfort, to avoid feeling sad, to avoid feeling fear, to avoid feeling confusion. And we definitely live in a world where um, 
we spend a lot more time focused on sort of medicating those than trying to navigate through them. And I think the truth about life is that the only way out is through, is that we have to navigate through these experiences. And that requires us uh, to have a perspective, but it also requires us to have practices to be able to navigate through those emotions is, you know, that's, that's why they're there. They're cues for us to, to travel through and navigate. And uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of quotes and, and there's a quote from anonymous and it says, you know, that anger is the emotion we snatch up to avoid less comfortable emotions like fear, confusion, and sadness is it's hard. It's hard to feel like you're sad in a part because there's this sense of if I lean into it, I may never be able to get out of it. And, and so we kind of avoid going down those, those places and those holes, but there's no question that, you know, experiencing this stuff and traveling through this and not doing that on your own is a really important part of the journey because otherwise where you end up, you just end up stuck, end up stuck, end up numb, can't really feel you'll, you'll medicate in some form or fashion. Maybe if you're feeling really off, then, you know, really down, you might engage in things that provide some sort of spike of adrenaline. You're feeling anxious all the time. Alcohol is a pretty good mechanism that people use to try to bring it down is you end up in this world where you're kind of, um, going back and forth on the roller coaster. And so, and, and this is a part where, you know, normalizing the experiences. And that's when I say to you, it's like, if it's true that the symptoms of post-traumatic stress are a reality, when you're experiencing those, there's nothing wrong with you. Like this is a normal response to exposure to a lot of stuff. And, and obviously if we just think about COVID is it's a lot to deal with. And so the question is, how do I have practices and people in my life who allow me to travel through those experiences to get to a measure of calm and to clarity and to start to make sense of, of life in the midst of all of this, this stuff I'm experiencing. So just to recap, cause I think you made a couple of really good points there is that in our line of work, when things start to get really emotional on the job side, we tend to, and I can say for myself, I have done this. We tend to start shutting off our emotions. And then that's when we experience compassion fatigue, where we just can't care about our patients anymore. And then it bleeds over into our real life where we just can't care about our family, which sounds terrible, but to a point, you know, like, like you mentioned the anger, instead of responding with love and compassion with our own family, uh, it comes out as anger because we're just so overwhelmed by what we're experiencing. And it's not that we don't have those symptoms of post-traumatic stress. We do, those are real. But instead of going through those head on and dealing with them to get down to the deeper issues, we tend to go to medication or alcohol or other things to help us cope. But we're not like moving forward. We're just stuck in the cycle. Yeah. And I think we've created a world where uh, focused on helping us feel less bad. So, you know, I'm feeling anxious. It's like, okay, if I do these things, then I can feel less bad, less anxious. But I still feel anxious. Um, and it's like, it's not... It, it doesn't get us to where we want to be. And, 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 you know, there's, there's this, this idea, you know, that, that, that the greatest loss in life is what dies inside while still alive. It's not death. It's actually that. And, and that's what I worry about for so many members of these communities that we serve is that it feels as though life is this sort of this, this, this graph downward that the longer I do these jobs, the less human, the less connected I am. And so, and then, the normal resources you might avail yourself of in order to seek support, you're not benefiting from because you're not meaningfully connected to human beings because you're just fundamentally shut down and disconnected. And I think, you know, this goes to, and we were obviously talking a little bit about this off air is 
we really have to think about how we're training people in these professions so that people can navigate these professions in healthy and constructive ways. And, and, and it, and it doesn't mean that like you can be, you know, you're dealing with somebody and, you know, you're overpowered by emotions and you can't do the job. It's like, I just don't think that that's, that's true. And I don't think that that's a reality, but we really have to try to find a balance in the conversation because, and if I just look at my friends in policing and fire, and I have to think it's the same in nursing is that the ethic for a really long time was suck it up. This is what you signed up for. What are you complaining about? And then now I worry that we swing into the other side of the continuum, which is everyone's going to be damaged and get PTSD. And I think both of those things are, are not helpful. I think that there's, there, there, it really is how do you train folks who are exposed to a lot of things to make sense of this? And I think, you know, the other part we have to consider is, you know, what are symptoms, symptoms of, you know, because they're, you know, and that's what we just treat symptoms. But like, as we know, and as nurses well know is, you know, you treat the symptoms, but not the underlying issue. You're going to have a patient who just consistently is coming back into the healthcare location because they're going to need to constantly be dealing with this. And, and at the, at the root of all of this stuff really relates to what the journey of post-traumatic growth is about, which is understanding what in, in the definition of, of post-traumatic growth is the definition of trauma is, is understanding what it is we believe about ourselves and other people in the world. And how do we make sense of these things that you get, you get exposed to on a consistent basis. So let's get into like the symptoms of trauma and what actually constitutes trauma, because I, when we talk about post-traumatic stress, we always think of our war heroes. And I think a lot of times in nursing, we think or believe that what we do doesn't constitute that, even though we're involved in traumatic experiences all the time, we just brush it off. So like when you start to have like, what symptoms are you talking about or what experiences constitutes a trauma? You know, it's interesting. And one of the things that's interesting is that PTSD um, has, I think, become a catch-all for a lot of things. And so now um, people bandy about complex PTSD uh, as a new terminology. And I think that, that what I would say holistically in these these fields is, you know, because traditional PTSD really relates to re-experiencing things, right? Like you're, something is happening and you're like you're, you travel back into time to a previous event in your life where you go through something where you feel like your life is threatened. So you're in a plane, it almost crashes. And then, you know, you have these re-experiencing uh, events. But what we see, I think, is a lot more nuanced than that. Um, you see a lot of anxiety. You see a lot of depression. Uh, you see sleeplessness, you see a sense of meaninglessness. Is it sort of this, this, all of these things all at once? And I don't think in the true dictionary definition that you would call it PTSD, but, and that's why we use terms like struggle, because we're also not huge fans of, of labels and diagnoses, which we can get into as part of a separate discussion. I think the question of what is trauma is an interesting question at this point in human history, because if you look at something like the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, you have a pretty limited definition of trauma. When you think about uh, in, in first responder land, you know, critical incidents, incidents that really are these significant incidents, it's a very short list of things. And then if you ask like a 12-year-old kid, the way trauma gets used in our everyday society now is like everything is a traumatic incident, right? Like my horse couldn't run in the show, that's a trauma. And so you see this interesting thing where you have this very exclusive list and this very, you know, diluted definition and, and I think, you know, part of why I find post-traumatic growth so valuable 
is how it helps us understand what is traumatic. And in post-traumatic growth terms, a trauma is defined, defined as an event or series of events that, that have the effect of disrupting or destroying our core beliefs about three things. And, and the idea is that deep within each of us, we have a psychological architecture. We can't see it. We don't think about it. We can't touch it. But it's this architecture, and, and, and it helps us navigate the world. And this belief system speaks to what do I believe about myself? And if you think about a scale from negative to positive, on the negative side, it would be you know, that, I'm, that I'm out of control, that I don't have any influence in, in life's events, that I'm not worthwhile, that I'm not valuable. And on the positive side would be obviously the opposite of those things. Uh, the second would be about other people. What do you believe about other people? Are other people dangerous, untrustworthy? Do they betray you? Uh, or are other people good and valuable and trustworthy and worth connecting with? And then the third is really about the world and your future in that world. And so is the world a bad place, a dark place, my future in that world limited, or is my world a good place? Is the world a good place? And do I have a future of some measure in that world? And I think, you know, that's in a trauma or a, or a series of events that affect those things is really what is traumatic. And the symptoms we have are the result of events that make those things be disrupted or be destroyed. Because our system no longer feels safety because safe because we no longer have a way to navigate the world. And the part I would draw my attention to, especially when I think about first responders, is the last part of that. You know, you think about everything that people experienced during COVID. In addition to all of the stuff just on the healthcare front, just a lot of the stories I heard about the way organizations dealt with and supported or did not support nurses, um, the way people felt like they were said to be essential but felt disposable, putting it, being put in front of patients without the right PPE and, and, and all of these kinds of things, they really do create a sense that like the world's just a, a bad place. And, and so if that's true, then what you're apt to do is to isolate, is to disconnect, is not to want to be around other people, right? So it starts to affect how we believe about other people. And if that's true, we will start to deteriorate because as human beings, we need connection with other people. But I know there's a lot of people in all the worlds we serve who genuinely don't want to be around other people and just want to disconnect and, you know, sit in, in their in the basement and watch TV is is you start to see this. But but that's the reason why we have to be nuanced in these discussions is because, you know, we look at trauma as these sort of big events and big experiences. But ultimately, what they are, they these events that really impact the way we perceive ourselves, other people in the world. And, and what it does is it impacts how or whether we can even navigate the challenges that we have. So it's, it's you know, it's not, it's, it's not a simple explanation or definition, but but it's what we have to think about as the root cause of traumatic experiences. And, and if you look at that definition, that for somebody getting out of the military could be traumatic, for somebody getting divorced could be traumatic, because all of a sudden it uproots what they believed about themselves, other people in the world. And that's why you have to be careful labeling, well, this is a trauma, this is not a trauma. You compare it because it doesn't quite work like that in terms of people's perspectives and life experiences. So to kind of put this in a perspective of like nursing based off my own experiences with trauma and nursing, I really think number one, like myself is probably a big key. And I just want to mention this so that other nurses can relate, but in nursing, there's so much responsibility put on the nurse that we are the last person that touches the patient. So if a doctor writes a wrong order that can fall on us because we followed through with the order. If pharmacy gave a wrong medication and their 
patient's box and we gave it to them or loaded it wrong, like we are the one responsible because we're the last ones to do that. So anytime, I won't say anytime, but when our patients don't do well, nursing tends to put that on ourselves. So we take that home with us and we hang on to that. And then it does kind of destruct our own personal feelings about, you know, you want to be a good nurse. We're in nursing to like help people. And when that doesn't happen, whether it is our fault or not our fault, we really take that home with us. So when you start taking those feelings home with yourself and you really put yourself down as a nurse and then you start putting yourself down as a mother, as a friend, because you're living with those emotions day in and day out, that is what a traumatic experience would be. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, and I think about the communities we serve operate in like no margin of error environments, right? If you make a mistake, bad things happen, right? People can die and they do die. And so you create this world where people like the amount of stress and the amount of pressure to always have it right, to always have your stuff put together is immense. And it's really, really, and, 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 and acknowledging also like you're not in full control. Like, yes, there are, there are medical errors. And then there's also just, human beings, right? Like we can't, you, we can't, everyone's going to die at some point. And I think about this, this woman I spoke to, um, this nurse, she was telling me during COVID that she was the only person in this room with, with a gentleman who was dying. And he was a a Hispanic gentleman who didn't speak any English. And she tried to call his family and she knew it was was like his last minutes and couldn't get a hold of anybody. And there was a Bible in Spanish next to his bed. And like me, obviously from my name, you'd probably tell that I'm Jewish is um so she didn't exactly know where to go so she just opened it and she just started reading it and what she's telling me is how bad she felt that she hadn't taken spanish more seriously when she was in school because if she had taken spanish more seriously then maybe she would have known what to open up to and she would have understood what she was reading and she would have known if she had paid more attention in sunday school which parts of the and i'm like like you gotta stop i was like that book meant a lot to that man clearly and all you did was offer solace to him that that has to be meaningful to that man but but like there's it's like it's never enough and i think there's no question in that world and i and i you know to take all of that on is like all you would ever ask for is like having guardian angels and you think about that guy's family but it's like at some point there has to be some measure of of self-compassion of being able to say you know i did everything i could and because otherwise you just carry that one thing after another thing after another. And you're absolutely right. Like it just gets too heavy. And naturally the instinct to just shut it off, to not feel is, is the easiest answer because that's a lot to carry in terms of guilt. And it, you know, it's not distinct from like survivor's guilt and some of these other things you see in, in the lines of work that we operate in. But there's no question. I think that those experiences and you think about the guilt and the shame that builds up, it's just, it, it, it's fundamentally disconnected. It disconnects us from ourselves, from other people. And so figuring out how do you have people do these jobs without the margin of error, but not, not, not own all of these things in a way that really is, is disruptive or debilitating to people's ability to live. Yeah. Cause it, that I think that is the ownership of nursing is that we carry all this with us and it just takes its toll after. So like when we talk about burnout, you know, the burnout rate in nursing right now is huge and it's because we've taken all this stuff with us we can't leave it at the door um i also wonder about you know 
and some of this is just what's been reflected to me in the conversations that I've had with nurses and trainings we've done is, you know, what I hear is people longing for the esprit de corps that people have in the military, where you train together, you spend your time together, and that, you know, there's something really powerful about going through an experience together. But I think where you don't necessarily have that same spirit and where I think there's probably not the same type of leadership is, is you think about like, how do you create it? And it's not as simple as putting, because this is the challenge, right? It's like, well, you could, you could handle your career as a nurse if only, you know, you added two more hours in the day so that you could take care of your wellness is in my, my dad's a physician, right? And it's like people complaining about burnout and these other things. And they're like, yeah, we're going to do a session on Saturday to focus on this. And everyone's like, wait, what? Like, you're going to take time from the one day we have where we're not in the hospital to focus on being well. Like, this sounds like a really weird trade-off is I think figuring out what are the, what are the elements that are required for people to do this well. And there's certainly a sense of, of, of cohesiveness and, and being in it together. There's a certain sense of what the leadership needs to be responsible for creating in terms of an environment that allows people to do that. It can't just be, well, you just got to do more training and you just got to do a better job of taking care of yourself. Cause as some of the nurses, you know, told us, it's like if if I hear from another person that I need to be more resilient, that person's going to find out just how resilient I am, um, which I think was a threat to bodily harm. Was you know, it's just not reasonable to keep putting more and more and more, and then it's like, oh yeah, if you want to be well, here's more and more and more. Because I think there's just there's a reimagining of what this looks like, how we train people, how we support people, is going to be really important for the future of this profession. Yeah, I mean. That really goes back to why I am working to create the healthy nurse connection, because I don't think it can come from our leaders. I think there is a level of distrust right now as well, that when something does come from leadership, we like question it or look for the ulterior motives, or we don't take it as authentic as it should be um, because they have a bottom line. And that's what we kind of feel in the back of our heads. So I really feel like this has to come from nurses to nurses, like not even like me per se, but like we have to really like learn to support each other. Because you talk about how like we want to isolate, but what we really need is connection. So why is that connection, and especially connection of people who have gone through the same thing, why is that connection so important? You know, the longest running study in the history of the world on the subject of, of life satisfaction of people who lived good lives. It's, it found that there was one thing that differentiated people who said their life was meaningful and fulfilling and then who it wasn't. And it was connection with a small group of people. And so like if the only thing our brains are hardwired for is connection to other human beings. Not, you know, with neuroplasticity says you can change your brain, but that's the one thing you can't change. And, and so, you know, it, it's the key in so many respects to navigating life. And when I think about post-traumatic growth, you know, it emanates from a lot of different people, but including a support group of parents who had lost their children. And, and part of why, to your point, that it's so powerful to have people who you look at and you know that they know is there's so much you don't have to say. And you don't get into people, you know, questioning people's intentions and what they're after. Like, you, you know that they know by a look, by two words, and they can finish the sentence. And I think there's a level of trust and connection in these environments that has to be tapped to, to the point of what you're accomplishing, what you're doing. I mean, you know, at our core, we're a peer-based organization that believes deeply in harnessing the power of where trust and connection exists. And it exists among the troops and policing, amongst fire, amongst the military, amongst nursing. And how do you harness that and then inject context and expertise in that 
is I think what our goal has been. Um, but, but, but that's where it has to be. It's like, it, I mean, it really, really absolutely has to be. And, and when you have those relationships, your capacity to not just weather storms and deal with difficulty, but to, to grow becomes a lot more likely than it would any other way. And so when I think about like the phases of post-traumatic growth, in the middle of all of those, the foundational item is trust and connection. It's relationship, genuine relationship. And I think part of it is people being willing and able to talk to one another, to lean into one another. And, and again, that's a big part of what I think the culture change has to be in all of these organizations that we work with is changing the culture so people are willing to lean in. And, and to do that, you got to normalize struggle, but you also have to create some measure of hope in that discussion. And that hope comes from, I think, the recognition that that, you know, that trauma and struggle are not permanently diminishing, because if they are, we're all kind of screwed, to put it bluntly. Right. So when we we mention like, so we talk about post-traumatic growth, we've talked about how you can't ignore your feelings, you have to acknowledge your feelings, then it's important to identify when you're having these feelings and then making those connections with other people who are also having those. So then where does the growth part come in? Or like, what does this all lead to when we come out the other side of the trauma? You know, you know, the, there's a quote that I'm very fond of. And the quote comes from a lady named Mandy Piper. And Mandy was a crisis response coordinator who lost her fiance in an ISIS related shooting in San Bernardino in 2015. And she said that you have to know that post-traumatic growth exists in order for it to happen. You have to know it's okay for good things to happen after really bad things. And as with you, when I go into rooms of nurses and I say, raise your hand if you've ever heard of PTSD and no one, everyone raises their hand. And then I say, okay, raise your hand if you've ever heard of post-traumatic growth or PTG. And maybe in a room of a hundred, one person raises their hand. And so, you know, we have this lens that we view our lives that really does contribute to a very negative perspective on exposures to things. And this doesn't mean to be like a masochist or that trauma is good, but it is to say that in the absence of any understanding that growth is possible, growth will not occur. And we have some friends of ours who did a bunch of research amongst nurses and they came back to us uh, on post-traumatic growth. They came back to us and said, we have terrible results, dire results, depressing results. And I said, what are they? They said, well, they didn't grow. And I said, well, did anybody talk to them about growth? And they're like, no. I'm like, did anybody try to help them grow? And they're like, no. They just kind of left them in their natural environment. I'm like, this is the point of the quote is we have to give people, like we mistake the limits of the world for the limits of our field of vision. Our mind has 80% of our thoughts on a daily basis are negative. Overlay that on the conversation about PTSD, on the exposure to difficult events. You are going to create a recipe for people to get PTSD. And if we don't balance that conversation, with a notion that growth is possible, then growth won't happen. And in the absence of that conversation, what people lose is they lose hope. They lose any sense of agency, that their actions matter. And you just sort of become nihilistic and feel as though like, what's the point? And so uh, in describing what you just described, which is a great characterization of kind of the journey, is, is, is you have to find places where you feel a sense of trust and connection. When you have that, what we have to do is we have to introduce some sense, which I hope, by the way, is this is what you're creating. And then it's like, hey, we're going to have a conversation about another side of the story. And that side of the story is about this idea of post-traumatic growth. Is What we want to change is the frame, the conversation of 
what we're, how we think about this stuff. That's the biggest piece is how we think about it. So if we introduce that and in that context, our ability and willingness to reflect upon and share the feelings we're having, the difficulties we're going through, the shame we carry, the guilt we have, it's all in the context of these are the things that I need to do to be able to figure out how I can move forward in my life and how to grow. And so the context of the conversation is about post-traumatic growth. And what we must do, as you said, is we have to come face to face and confront the feelings that we don't really want to deal with, the thoughts that we don't really want to deal with. And we have to be willing and able to not only confront those things, experience those things, process those things, and to find some calm through practices, but we need to be able to talk about that. And if we can do those things, like the phases of post-traumatic growth is like the first one's education. It's it's really understanding that post-traumatic growth exists. It's real. It's possible. And then it's engaging in regulation, which is really finding and being able to deal with our feelings and the thoughts and disclosure is being willing and able to talk about those to people we trust. If we can do those things and build them as habits and practices, then what we're able to do is, is to move forward in our lives and to grow. And so that's the, the idea behind all of this, I think, is that, that it really is the context through which we view these professions and these experiences. And, and if we can do that, then, then people can evolve through these lives in a healthy way, in a constructive way, and reconstruct those beliefs that I was talking about earlier. So just to kind of summarize, so we have these feelings, we feel bad, they're negative feelings, but we can't ignore them. We have to go through them with the hope and the knowledge that there is growth on the other side of it, that we can actually get through this and be okay. Because I feel like we avoid it sometimes because we feel like we're never going to be okay. We have to find people who understand what we're going through. And it, it's not always our family. Our family is probably the ones who love us dearly, but have no idea what we do. And so we have to find those people who like truly understand with just a look or a phrase to help us through those hard days. And we have to actually process and go through those feelings. I know in your book too, you talk about this is not like a five-step program where you do these five steps and you're going to be better at the end of it but the journey for everybody is different. So the way in which you process your feelings and your emotions and what works for you is completely different and individualized. So there's not one method that's going to work for everybody, but you have to really do the work to find out what is going to work for you, go through these feelings. And once you kind of rebuild and reconstruct what this new version of your life is, it is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but for the most part, Okay. I don't want to say it's better, but you find that you're like, okay, on the other side. You know, and I think when you look at these professions, there's something called boundary experiences. Boundary experiences operate at the boundary of the human existence, right? And so for most people, they don't get exposed to that. Maybe once in their life, something really awful happens, but most people aren't exposed. Most people like, you know, like if I just look at my life, it's like my grandparents died at old age. My parents are still alive. Like, I haven't had to deal with really life-altering things. I've had other stuff in my life, rest assured, which is challenging. Is uh, but but people in these professions are constantly dealing with boundary experiences, and part of that requires almost this thought that you have to like update the software to think about like okay, all of these things happen. How do I make sense of them? I'm constantly exposed to death, and if I'm constantly exposed to death, 
well, I have one of two options. Either life sucks and people die, or like there's some kind of like the Bushido in Japan used to meditate on death. And the idea was recognizing that death is real. It could happen at any moment, forces people to live much more in the present and have a greater sense of gratitude is you can really go one of two ways on this fork. And part of it is training our mind to go to the right direction of this so that we can navigate it. When and if we do those things, and this goes to heart in, in the book you mentioned is Transformed by Trauma talks about this, is you know we don't love the term resilience. As I said, if it gets mentioned, which we don't mention it, nurses threaten to punch people in the face is for a good reason, because it's, it's incredibly strong human beings. And so the idea is when we're able to construct a belief system that works, that makes sense, that's durable, that reflects the realities of life and the experiences we've had, it is a heck of a lot more durable in the future. The same way that a house that gets destroyed by an earthquake that's rebuilt much stronger than before is a lot less likely to be impacted in the same way is it's the same principle. It's that we're able to build in a more durable fashion, a more authentic fashion. So that, and what fundamentally shifts is our perspective and our understanding of wisdom. And you know, and this is where like nuance in our society is not something that's very popular these days, but there's a paradoxical aspect of post-traumatic growth, right? From pain can come growth, from, from loss can come gain. It, it's a paradox. And I think that we just have to be really mindful of the questions we ask people and the conversations that we're having, because, you know, I could ask people, you know, tell me about your symptoms, and all the things that are wrong with you, or I could ask somebody, you know, hey, here's an area where people grow when they go through and they're exposed to lots of trauma and they they end up having a deeper appreciation for, for relationships. Tell me about how you've grown in your life. Tell me about what you learned based on all your experiences. And you'll get a totally different perspective on that person's life experience. And you'll also put them in a different perspective. So I think that's a big part of post-traumatic growth is it's about the questions that we reflect upon in the face of the experiences we have. And we have to have a balanced way of doing that or else life's going to feel very nasty. And, and, and nihilistic and pointless and no one's going to want to do these professions and there's there's a lot of good there's so much good like I said I grew up around nurses as a little kid because my dad would do rounds and we would hang out with the nurses and it's like it's an amazing group of people it's, it's obviously an amazing and critical profession and and we have to do better and you're absolutely right that starts by creating a mechanism where people who do these jobs can lean into one another in a meaningful way and my hope is that that leaning in isn't just commiserating about how crappy things are and how much struggle they're experiencing, but it's also about how we can support one another to grow and, and to learn and to continue to move forward in our lives and not just to go through life, but to grow through life. So when we're having these, so if we have like a repetitive event that we keep looping in our minds, post-traumatic growth is kind of breaking that down and rebuilding that event to like, to see not just the bright side, but to, to reconstruct your ability to, to deal with that emotion so that when it happens again, you kind of have the tools to be able to not have such a traumatic, is that, am I, am I on the right track or I'm getting lost? Well, in some respects, I think when you talk about that, right, they say like 10% of life is what happens and 90% is what we make of what happens. Um, I think that's, I mean, you're, it's, it's, it's aiding in one's capacity to interpret the experiences that we've had in our life. Yeah. And, you know, and I think it's not just, you know, like I have a good friend who was, who was not a good friend, I have a uh, acquaintance who was shot 
nine times by a crazy person. He's a he was a cop, and you know he would tell the story of getting shot a lot. And we, we talked, and we talked about kind of this idea of beliefs and how those things get ruptured. And he was like, you know, I keep telling people the story of what happened, but I don't ever tell the story of the impact of what happened on me, which is getting shot made me question what how good of a cop I was. Right, getting shot made me have to listen to people I worked with who said if that had happened to them, they never would have allowed that guy to leave without getting shot, right? So they're starting to question him. And he's starting to wonder if these people really have his back. It started to make him question the world that he lived in because the justice system didn't have his back and the guy didn't go to prison for very long. So it wasn't that he got shot. It was the impact of what happened because that occurred. And so it's almost like we're not looking deep enough to understand like this happened. Okay, got it. We just focus on that. It's like, okay, but how did that impact you? How did it impact how you think about yourself and other people in the world? And so we're not, again, we're not asking the right questions. We're not reflecting on these things. So we get stuck at a loop on this trauma happened and this occurred and this occurred. So, okay, I got that. I understand that. And then what happened, right? How is it that this created a world that didn't make sense? It doesn't compute. It doesn't feel livable. And, and that's where the symptoms come in. And so I think that's a big part of this journey is really there's a level of curiosity that requires calm, right? It requires other people, but a level of curiosity that you have to bring to bear to reflect on this stuff and think about like, okay, you know, these things happen and, and how do I make sense of it? And that's the interpretation piece that is subject to change. The event is the event. The interpretation is what is, is, is fungible. It's changeable. And, and that's where other people are so helpful of helping somebody look at really is your interpretation useful, helpful, correct, whatever the right word might be. Okay. I got it. I think I got it. So it's not necessarily the event. It's how we interpret the event and what has happened around us. And when we can talk to people who have a better understanding of that event, they might be able to give us a different perspective right. so how thinking about it and interpreting it differently. Yeah, that's um, that's really awesome. That's really like, that just kind of blew my mind. <laughs> so like, and I think, and yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm glad. And 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 you know, in the book, in Transformed by Trauma, right? The goal was to use the stories of people who went through really difficult things to help to spotlight how this happens, how to navigate this and experience this and walk through it, because. This is not like, oh, you know, drop the PTSD and get yourself some PTG. Like, it's not that kind of a, it ain't that kind of Kool-Aid. It's hard. It's challenging. But it, but the point is, it's worth it because your life could be more meaningful and you could be able to continue to do the things you love doing and reconnect to, you know, the most, the most powerful thing that a nurse said to me, was looked at me and she said, I just want to love what I do again. Right? I just want to love what I do again. And it's like, because, you know, you are people who are deeply committed to what you get to do. And the last thing you want to do, and it's the same is true for everybody we serve, is they don't want to not be able to do it. But when you're forced to choose between like, like when the thing you love is killing you, that is not an acceptable choice to put on people. And it leads to some really, really bad outcomes. And so, you know, I think we have to figure out how we shift the culture, not just have a new program but how we shift the culture of these worlds. And to your point, that starts with the people on the, on the ground floor uh, being able to understand and lean into each other and figure this stuff out. 
Yeah. So it's not another uh, seminar about resiliency and how to get through the workplace. It's about us coming together. We're in the field, relying on each other, but we have to be able to talk to each other. I feel like that's when we have a bad day, we don't always want to turn to our colleagues and talk about it, but that is kind of where our growth can come. And if we can start having those conversations with each other, that was, um, that's very insightful. I am going to think about that. I think the rest of the day and really just process on that the rest of the day. Um, so I know we're getting short on time, but is there any words of encouragement or advice that you would give besides what we've talked about to nurses or even healthcare workers? Like I always talk about nurses because that's where my experience comes from, but all, all parts of the healthcare environment and all the healthcare workers go through the same type of thing. Like, do you just have any last words of advice or anything? You know, I I have the privilege of of spending every day of my life working with what I think to be the most amazing people I've ever met, right? People who put collective good over personal gain, people who would do anything for for every, and do do everything for everybody else um, and really put themselves last. And I think, you know, the first thing I'd say is, you know, don't let other people put limitations on your life, that it is feasible to grow in the face of struggle and hardship and trauma. And if it weren't, we wouldn't exist because as human beings, thousands of years ago, a bunch of people would be in a cave, a saber tooth tiger would come in, it would take somebody and kill them. And nobody in that cave would leave because it all had PTSD, no one would procreate, no one would hunt, and we would have died off. It's, it's part of our human history and our legacy is that we go through really, really challenging things and we're able to find some way to make sense of those so that we can continue not just to help ourselves, but to help other people. And, and so the first thing I'd say is that, you know, of all the communities I've ever met, that these communities deserve to live great lives. And, and for me, part of what that starts with is to do the one thing that people don't like doing in helping professions, which is to find ways to take care of themselves and to put themselves first. And, and the saying is that hurt people hurt people and healthy people help people. And, you know, I think, Figuring out what that looks like and being able to do that in community with other people who know what it's like to walk in your shoes is an essential part of that. And I think that there's just no substitute. There's no way around that fact. And and I think from the standpoint of Bouldercrest and the standpoint of, of all the work we do in post-traumatic growth is, you know, I hope and I believe that this this will prove valuable. And I think that that that's what you deserve is the opportunity to grow Um in the face of all of this, because it's an amazing group of people across the entire healthcare landscape. And we're certainly, you know, gratitude and signs that say, thank you, heroes, don't get anybody very far when you don't feel like you can leave your house because you're struggling with anxiety and depression. And so we've got to do better. And that's certainly what we're committed to doing. And, and so I'm grateful for everything that people do. And I'm hopeful we can be a part of, of helping folks not recover, not be more resilient, but to actually live really good, meaningful, quality lives. Well, great. Well, that was a great way to end it. So thank you for coming on today and talking with us. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for what you do, Leslie. Thank you. As I look back on my conversation with Josh, there are a few things I want you to remember. One, we have to feel our feelings. This is really hard sometimes and we can't always do it by ourselves. So if you're struggling, reach out, whether that's just to a close friend a coworker, somebody who understands what you're going through, or a mental health professional. There are times when we need help to deal with our feelings. 
too. It is through connection and talking with people who understand our struggle that we can learn how to move forward. This is why I believe the Healthy Nurse Connection is so important. We really have to come together and we have to learn how to get ourselves through the struggles that we're dealing with right now. Nursing is a hard field. Healthcare is a hard field. And we really have to come together and help us help each other get through it. And three, I truly appreciate all of you for listening. All of you do amazing work in your life. And there are times that we struggle and we need each other and we need to help each other through the rough patches. But I really, truly appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you want to know more about the Boulder Crest Institute, you can find that information under resources on the website, thehealthynurseconnection.org. You can also find the book Transformed by Trauma on the website as well under books. If you have any questions, uh, want to tell me about your own story, or have any health and wellness tips that you would like to share, please email me at healthynurseconnection at gmail.com. You can find that email on the website as well. Otherwise, thank you for listening and have a lovely day.